Welcome to the World of Intelligence, a podcast for you to discover the latest analysis of global military and security trends within the open source defense intelligence community. Now on to the episode with your host, Harry Kemsley. Hello, and welcome to this edition of World of Intelligence at Jane's. As usual, your host, Harry Kemsley. Hello, and my co-host, Sean. Hello, Sean. Hello, Harry. It's good to be back and happy new year. Yeah, happy new year to you as well. So last year, Sean, we had a number of great topics, among which we discussed mis and disinformation, a topic that came up frequently through a number of the episodes of the podcast. Um, we had a great session with Di Cook um, in which we looked at it through a particular prism, as you might remember, Sean, we looked at it principally through the video deepfakes and the technology going on around that. But, we, but I felt as though that needed a revisit. We talk about mis and disinformation so frequently in these podcasts. I don't feel as though we've given it enough time, enough breadth in conversation. So I wanted to revisit. And I'm absolutely delighted that we brought somebody who knows a great deal about this topic, Emil Khan. Hello, Emil. Hi, Harry. Emil Khan started his career as a Reuters foreign correspondent, followed by a stint at the BBC as an investigations reporter. Working in the early 2000s and having studied Arabic and Farsi, he covered breaking news in Iraq, Lebanon, Palestine, Israel, while also conducting investigations and embeds with militias in Darfur, Chad, Libya, etc. Sensing that the information landscape was changing, Emil left journalism and started consulting for government, political groups and civil society organisations. In the aftermath of the use of chemical weapons in Syria, Emil noticed that the online space was being manipulated not just by false information, but by thousands of coordinated fake accounts. As most of the attention was being devoted to the nature of the false information and not its dissemination, Emil set about investigating the misuse of social media platforms and wrote one of the first studies for the UK Cabinet Office on technical manipulation. After a couple of years at Chatham House, Emil set up Valent after realizing that the problem was only going to grow and few organizations maintained the skills, the mix of skills, social media strategists, political analysts and data engineers needed to address the threat it posed. All right, let's get started then. So Emil, perhaps you can help the three of us for the audience define what do we mean by misinformation and then disinformation? And Sean, I'll come to you as well in a second in terms of any nuances the military or defence industry might have for the same. But Mia, can we start with what you understand by misinformation versus disinformation? So in this space at the moment, um, the generally accepted definition is around uh, really intent. So misinformation comes down to sharing uh, wrong information believing it to be true in good faith, essentially, whereas disinformation is sharing untrue or creating actually as well as sharing, creating, uh, promoting uh, false information, knowing it to be false. Right, right. So it's a deliberate act as opposed to an, an inadvertent one. Sean, anything to add to that? Uh, not really. I think for me, absolutely right is the is the intent piece. You'll not be surprised to know that the various different definitions you can go anywhere, and they're all different. But it's the intent piece. I mean, there are several nuances to that, though, and 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 I like I like the in good faith thing. You know, there's for misinformation. I mean, people could just be ignorant. They could be repeating other people, or they could just be careless. But then there is that blurry area that I find with 
you know, and, and again, without being political, as you know, I sometimes am, you know, what is spin? What is, um, you know, trying to put a put a, a, um, a view on something that might not be 100% true? So it's not quite disinformation, but it's not misinformation either. And that, I think, is starting to get a dangerous area where, you know, people talk about their own truth. Basically, it means that I'm going to believe what I want to believe and I'll find the I'll find the sort of source for it somewhere. So we, we might get into that a little bit. Yeah, and I think, Emil, we'd agree that a lot of people are now talking about the post-truth world, the idea that you can create any truth you want and get enough people to um, copy and paste your truth into the uh, various channels that are available to us eventually takes on a life of its own. But do you see what Sean's talking about as well, Emil, this blurring from, not necessarily from misinformation to disinformation, but the two are becoming less distinct? Do you see that as well? Yeah, the, the there's... There's definitely bleed over from one to the other. And and also there's also other um, nuances where it starts getting complicated, um, which revolve around how deep you want to get into the idea of uh, purposeful uh, manipulation um, and that sort of. So it's purposeful. But how is that? How is that purpose exercised, which is where a lot of my work uh, uh, and the company that I run works on, which is um, per- we, we actually tend to go with manipulation rather mm-hmm. than disinformation because we look at how, like, if you're not actually saying something but you're running uh, armies of bots, for example, or something like that, then mm-hmm. that's – some people just say, well, it's all dis- disinformation, which is, like, which is fine. Um, but I think to be more specific, it's manipulation. Yeah. Now, um, Sean, I'll come to just a second. I remember seeing a while ago a documentary on TV that talked about how essentially the marketing activity, the advertising algorithms around various, particularly social media channels, were driving echo chambers, were driving certain manipulations of what otherwise might have been good intent. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about, the sort of gaming of the system for specific purposes, perhaps initially for economic reasons and economic incentives but in reality there is a, a more difficult problem coming out is that the kind of thing you're referring to Emil? that sort of thing on steroids so and i think it goes back to what you were saying about the bleed over between you know misinformation disinformation um because clearly in the world of advertising uh, and social media marketing um for example if uh, a content creator realizes that having the background yellow in their video um, is prioritized by the YouTube's algorithm will push their content higher up the rankings. Then having a yellow background is is not a huge deal. Um, it's just quite smart, really. Um, but of course, there are other ways of manipulating the algorithm, um, including which are totally not allowed uh in terms of the terms of reference of the different platforms so that's easy because you can say well you know the term they're not allowed but then there is again a gray area when you're not sure exactly you know what is allowed the use of certain phrases the getting for example um say you're a political actor uh and you have uh voters and saying hey guys my video is going to drop could you like it nothing particularly wrong with that um but setting up uh hundred fake accounts to do that clearly wrong and there's gray areas in between that as well 
Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll come back to the, how we might govern this problem, uh, perhaps a bit later on. But let's, Sean, before we go on to the next topic, what, were you, what did you want to enter on that thought? No, I, I just, I think this is really important to, to spend some time on identifying what we mean, because it's prevalent in everything we do. So if you look at polling data, for example, which is notoriously inaccurate, and the reason it's inaccurate is because people will if they're being asked a poll, will sometimes say what they think is expected of them. You know, and I'll always come back to the Brexit thing that, you know, no one admits to supporting uh, leaving the EU, and yet more than half the population did. You know, no one admits to uh, supporting Donald Trump, and yet almost half the population did there. So, so mm. there's a nuance to that, and that's where you start to get, and Amal, you'll understand this better than me, into the algorithms where um, there's a great book actually called Everybody Lies, which is worth a read, which talks about, uh, you know, if you do the, if you interrogate the Google searches that people do, rather than the polling date, what they say, you get a very, very different perspective. But, but what I was going to say really is that when does, um, so from a military perspective, and I know Amal, you've got experience of this as well, is that you know, I would call information operations. Is that a subset of disinformation, misinformation? Well, it shouldn't be because IO, uh, as we call it, to be effectively should have a lot of truth in it. It can't be just lies and it can't be wrong, but you can you can skew what you say, how much you say, and the context you give it in. And then you've got the political element, which is propaganda, which is a little bit more insidious, and it's literally deliberate, deliberately intended to influence um, populations or in a way of thinking. So it, it is really quite a complex thing. But the reason I think this is so important we're talking about it is, as I said, it's prevalent in everyday life we have now doesn't matter what you're doing and a good example i gave is that right now of course all the all the apps are showing dozens and dozens of visit videos on how you get a shredded body for the new year and they're all contradictory so, oh you're getting you know, those too it's not just me uh, yeah i get them all the time no no so just you know for the, uh, just for the record and for the listeners i don't get any of those they've long <laughs> since given up on my body <laughs> but, but so it's like do cardio don't do cardio you know eat carbohydrates don't eat carbohydrates every one of them is different and and you could be really confused now are they deliberately trying to misinform sorry disinform well you know there's clearly people are trying to sell their own apps or sell their own programs whatever you know, but which is right? I've absolutely no idea. So I'll just do what I normally do, and not very much. That's something I'd like to just pause on, if I may, Emil, because you know, for the for the listeners out there that work in this arena, perhaps in defence intelligence, this is something that they they grapple with in what we've just described as information operations, perhaps. But for the other listeners who perhaps are not directly involved in this sort of activity, there is this huge sense of so what do we do about it? What what? can I begin to uh, understand about what I'm doing to myself? You know, this idea that I've created an echo chamber around myself. The algorithms we talk about, we seem to have little or no control over. What does, what does a listener do about this technical manipulation? How do we recognize it and how do we begin to do something about it? I think it starts with most uh, problems of this nature around awareness, being aware of, of that echo chamber. Are you in an echo chamber? Um, and if you are, what's the nature of that echo chamber? And a lot of the kind of uh, operations by hostile um, countries or dictatorships or whatever that, that a lot of the work that we do, um, we've noticed that the activity 
is not always as straightforward as trying to make a population vote or not vote or or uh, or riot or, or something like that. It's often actually aimed at um, uh, deceiving decision makers. So, for example, um, in in one case that we saw, trying to make a government uh, deploy the army. Uh, and because they thought 100,000 people were turning up with weapons in a January 6th type situation, when actually that wasn't true and it was only going to be 3,000 people and they were unarmed civilians. But being the nature of that scenario, there's a very high likelihood that people would have died. Not a particularly disciplined army, you know, not great command control, all those kind of issues. They would have started shooting at people armed or not armed, 3,000 or, you know, 100,000. And then... The, the actors behind it have their own, uh, uh, you know, talking point then to run with. So it was kind of like Maoist insurgency stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. It will, and and so I would say being aware of what that is, are you, what is, what are you seeing? And a lot of the time what we see is, uh, is actors who are being targeted don't have any decent um, capabilities, tools, people on staff who can help them and they're literally just scrolling their phones so 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 there are you know there, there's a very high chance they're going to be manipulated because all it is is even in a cabinet so a cabinet of say 10 people in government sitting around making decisions all of them are just on their phone going oh my god look at this look what's happening yeah yeah, yeah. so i think there's probably a conversation to be had maybe not today about what are the symptoms i need to look at for me being in an echo chamber how do i know i'm in that for that awareness piece but we'll come back to that perhaps another time so, Sean, um, one of the things that we've spoken about almost on every episode of this podcast over the recent years has been the necessary reliance on good tradecraft, understanding what is a best practice method, identifying what appears to be an outlier that needs to be looked at. Maybe it's an outlier because it's not true, it's not credible, or maybe it's an outlier because it's something we need to look at in more detail. The potential for creating open source intelligence standards, OSINT standards, is also something, also something we talked about. But I sense from the conversation we've had so far, and Emil's great, I think, given us some really good examples of why this is so important, the need for these open source intelligence standards and best practice and the awareness, that's something that we really got to get right, is it not? I mean, that's something that we really do need to get right. Sean? It is absolutely. I can't believe you mentioned the tradecraft word before I did, but it's <laughs> but it's absolutely critical. I mean, we have got, we talked about this before a little bit, the Wild West vote for inverted commas, open source intelligence. And you get everybody from, you know, well-meaning talking heads who have got unconscious bias to, and again, being in, in, slightly impolite, who read the Times and then repeat it on whichever uh, form of, of mainstream media they've got, but all the way up to obviously people that are doing deliberately. The key for me is um, within the tradecraft context is making sure that you have reliable data that has been cross-referred. So, and, and there's a time element to that. The first, and you've heard me say this before as well, the first information you get on any event tends to be the wrong one. Um um, but so so you've got to validate it. And that means sort of second and third level analysis. OK, you can't just look at the reporting. Um, 
you know, the classic case is the Al-Akhli uh, hospital in Gaza where, you know, it was attacked. And then very soon afterwards, you just have to look at the video to see that it, it wasn't quite right. And then the truth unfolds. So you can't go on the first thing, but you've got to correlate uh, the information and weigh it as well. And we don't often talk about this. So, you know, it's easier to weigh positively things like imagery where, you've got metadata in there so you can work out quite quickly whether it's actually of the event in terms of time and place and it's a big thing that's happening in Gaza right now is people are using um, quite stark imagery from other conflicts like Syria to support their hypothesis um, and then quite quickly have a look at the the, the metadata and go well actually this is from well before that happened so that's easier when you're talking about eyewitness account though you've really got to understand what the motivation and the potential unconscious bias is and cross refer it to other uh, other uh, eyewitness so it's both a positive and a negative now that social media is so prevalent because you can actually do that cross referring as well yeah. and then there's there's people like ourselves who are responsible open source intelligence and it's got to be about the objectivity you know, you've got to say, say what you see as opposed to what you think and only then make the analysis afterwards based on all the available information and, and intelligence you've got. So uh, and, and the, the problem with all of this, of course, is that it takes time. It always takes time to do that. And with the society we've got today where everything is soundbites and needs to happen now, even if you get to the truth, it's probably too late. Everybody's moved on. And the people that are absorbing this anyway have got it in their heads that certain event happened. And it doesn't matter that you send something out in more detail afterwards that says, yeah. right, actually, this didn't happen or the nuance is that. So it's really complicated. But you're right. It, it is about responsible tradecraft where you go through a standardized methodological methodological process that you can prove your working. And it's absolutely critical in, in, in our world. So, Emil, let me um, flip that question to you, but in a slightly different way. Forming a credible baseline, understanding what looks to be real, what makes sense, what's within a common sense, feasible picture. These these are things that we might or might not be fairly good at in the government space. We may or may not be very good at that in the commercial space. But again, for the casual observer, who frequently is flicking through their phone in nanoseconds, how do we begin to address the reality of misinformation and disinformation in that in that environment? How do we begin to build a credible baseline? That that to me seems to be ultimately the problem we're trying to solve here. It's not just that there is misinformation, disinformation, it's what do we do about it? Yeah. I um I get asked this question a lot just by friends and family. And when I think about how I look at it and, um, you know, early on in my career, I was a, a, a journalist and there's a period of training that you that we went through at least. And some of that has stuck with me just in terms of how I think about information. Mm -hmm. And um, so I still apply that. And, and that starts with um, feeling that if something really appeals to you if you're getting information that makes you sort of go yeah you know i get there so totally i knew it then you need to enter you need to take a step back at mm. that point straight away mm. and that should just be kind of if you know some if if I, if I had to do one of those media 
uh, you know, media critical analysis kind of you know courses that you see people kind of often offering. Mine would be uh, if if a bit of information makes you feel good, then think about it twice. That would be it. I would walk out the room after that. I'd be like, that's all you need. Do that to begin with. That's your baseline, and then um, I would uh, um, th then there's specific things. I saw one recently. I think it was sort of COVID related, and um, uh, and and you get the classic thing like it said something about um, uh, George Soros who owns the WHO or something like you know have a look at those details like <laughs> you know those kind of classic things where you just know it's not true like BlackRock has shares in the British government. I mean, governments tend not to have to give out shares, you know, just yeah. that kind of, if anything just like pops up at you, like, well, that's a bit odd, then yeah, then you sh the red flag should be up. Yeah, I, I like that. It's a very, very nice idea that you just look at yourself, actually just reflect on your own behaviours and stand back and watch yourself and your reactions to things. I, I like that a lot. Sean, we'll have a conversation about that offline. I think there's probably another podcast in there about uh, practical advice to an audience about how to deal with these issues. Almost certainly. Let's um, let's move let's move this conversation on to, to the next but related topic. So James works in an open source intelligence environment. That's what we've been doing for many, many years. And like your organization, Emil, we are trying very, very hard to be objective. We're trying very hard to be real to the open sources that we can access, that in theory anybody could access, by the way. That's what makes them open and deriving intelligence insights from those. What I've noticed is how frequently I see the phrase or the acronym OSINT, open source intelligence, assigned to almost everything, whether it's actually just raw data or not. But I think there's a slightly more nefarious use of that OSINT term, which is that it's often used to blanket across things that are not open source. You, I know, have experience of that. So I'm very keen to understand your perspective of this, frankly, slightly more nefarious use of this blanket term OSINT. But I think it's also, Sean, I'll come to you with it in terms of how that then gets in, in current, that gets inside the propaganda loop, that gets inside the disinformation loops. So first of all, this use of OSINT. Let's just start there, Emil, from your experience. How often are you seeing the word OSINT used for all kinds of things? All the time, basically. I think we live in a world now where that word OSINT and the phrase open source intelligence has earned itself a cachet um, for a lot of good reasons. Mm -hmm. But what the impact that's had on regular people is they think, oh, it's a thing. I don't really know what it is, but it's a thing and it's a credible thing. Right. Um, in the way that perhaps 20, 30, 40 years ago, people would have said, I saw it on the BBC. And it was just a byline, byline for, oh, it's it's from a trustworthy source. So I read it in The Times or whatever. Now, I think that's kind of been replaced. And friends and uh, former colleagues who are at the BBC will hate me saying this. But we are in a world where o OSINT is probably more of a trustworthy phrase than than the BBC, which then, of course, opens it up for manipulation in itself. Mm -hmm. And the specific manipulation that we come across is because it's kind of a hazy phrase. I mean, it's quite specific, but people understand it in, in a sort of different, different people understand it in different ways. So information that is by its nature not open source, mm -hmm. information that is taken from hacking, information that's taken from, you know, maybe physical surveillance or, or just, you know, false information will be presented to the audience as, oh, OSINT analysis showed us or 
or its close cousin, metadata said, blah, 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 mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I, that's the most common thing that I uh, I see. And I think we've had a few, we have had a few cases in the UK where um, people were hacked uh, and that information was used in media in a kind of disinformation uh, uh, scenario. And OSIN and metadata was all over that. I mean, every, you know, every yeah. paragraph was mentioned twice. Yeah, um, not to trivialise it at all, but I do recall a time in previous years where I've been presented with operational analysis that had four or five decimal place percentages of certainty about certain things. It's very hard to not feel as though that's somehow been analysed to an incredible degree of accuracy that gives them three or four or five decimal places worth of uh, accuracy. By the way, side note, as I dug into it, it turns out it was completely made up and therefore was not analysis at all. But that's another story <laughs> for another day. Sean, your um, your experience of information operations where we are seeking to convey a certain message to an or to a defined audience is, I know, quite considerable. How often do you think these days, though, that has become somewhat overtaken to Emil's point about this OSINT, this open source intelligence? Do you feel as though it's becoming a problem, this OSINT term? Uh, that's almost a whole podcast in itself, actually. Well, let's um, get started it, with the it, first answer then. <laughs> yeah, in, indeed. Um, but yeah, OSINT, is, it, it does, as Amil said, yeah, as soon as you say, oh, yeah, I do open source intelligence, everybody goes, all right, you have credibility there, you know what you're talking about, etc. And you just need to say that, but it doesn't mean to say that that's true. I think getting onto sort of the more nefarious side, I think that, you know, much as uh, artificial intelligence um, is a challenge for us in this area. I mean, I mean you mentioned bots and other other capabilities as, as well, actually. I think it can also be a, uh, a help in terms of identifying where stuff came from, whether it's actually true or not. Um, but also getting into the deeper stuff as to where the source of some of this comes from without getting into any detail. You've got, you know, cyber command and organizations like this that actually whose job it is to find out where these things come from and, and why that's being done. But turning it to to to, to do the point of your question, I think I just think with information operations, we have to be very careful to be as close to the truth as we possibly can be, because otherwise you lose credibility. Once you've lost credibility, that's it. You can know. So information operations to me is is really about enhancing something that's true in terms of what it is we want people to, to know or how do we influence them by stuff that is true. And you'll see just in, in terms of the, the daily uh, slides that, that are produced by the MOD on the Ukrainian thing, is that nothing that goes out there is not 100% true, but there's only three, three bullet points and they choose which three bullet points that they want to actually get out there. So that's more what I would call information operations. Um, because it's just enhancing what you want people to hear out of the truth, and the truth is really important. Just getting back to some of the the details of of, of what we were talking about before, though, of course, you know, being a responsible—I use that word advisedly—patient organization. You know, we've got, and I know we've talked about this, and we do it a lot. Actually, we've got extreme legal and ethical constraints in how we work through things. Uh, you know, it's not just the law, it's right. What what do we do is right. So we would never, you know, even spin, I would suggest, and I was very careful of this, um, any of our analysis. It is what it is. You've got to give that objectivity. You've got to give, if you haven't got a high level of confidence, you give assumptions and you give alternative analyses. So there's a lot in that. And um, mm -hmm. there's something that I, I, I you know, just, just within the context of what you're saying that we might, we might explore if we've got time. But, you know, what, 
role does the state have in controlling information? This is a really big debate that, you know, the metas of this world, the sort of debate that's happening over, mm-hmm. you know, should you, can you control it? Because there be real dragons. I'm not sure if we want to get into this now, but very happy to if you do. Well, actually, I do want to, I did want to just turn that to you, Emil, for, for an insight on this topic. Um, you know, Sean spoke quite eloquently there about information operations. He alluded to the fact that it had certain controls and so on, and that we were doing this to the best of our ability for the right reasons. But the flip side of that coin is one man's propaganda is another man's information operation and vice versa, right? So is there a place for organizations like Valent, is there a place for the commercial sector to be policing some of this, to be trying to give, frankly, ground truth, where governments may have lost demonstrable legitimacy, they may have lost good faith, people don't believe them anymore. Is there a place for the commercial sector to step in and fill that void and give ground truth? Or are we all tainted by the same brush? Nobody beats everybody because everybody's lying. Um, I think that whether for good or bad, uh, private organisations, big companies uh, and non-governmental organisations are now part of the information environment. and will be seen in in a particular context. So it's context specific. So something's happening, uh, a, a company's involved, let's say through the news uh, recently, and there was a, a, a plane fire in, um, uh, Tokyo. In, in, yeah, in Tokyo. So of course, then the airline is going to be an information source and that, that airline has to be able to put out its information um, well and competently, and is going to be judged on that. Um, and in a, but, but next week, maybe we'll go back to normal and nobody will want to know about that uh, airline again. So I think for companies, um, if, if they are, if they're doing something that is in the information space or could be, they have to be good at putting their information out truthfully, competently, clearly, that goes without saying. Um, but at the same time, so there will be people who'll try and game that for economic reasons, financial, political. Where um, organisations that sort of are new media players, uh, so new you know online outlets, investigations, Austin investigations, where they play a really important role is if they do it well, is saying, yeah, you know, we can, we, we are the, now the filter of this because people still want that filter i don't believe that you know we've given up with having that filter we just there's so much information we as people want to go somewhere where we can get it um then we get into the problem of it getting gamed what an organization like ours does is we are very specific because disinformation is such a large you know such a broad area we look at technical manipulation so for us the question of and we get asked this all the time oh you guys work in disinformation who's disinformation you know who's truth and who's not truth it's a totally legitimate question for us though it's is there technical manipulation going on and if there's technical manipulation going on even if the basic information is truthful then there's that's still manipulation that's still something we'll flag that's still something uh depending on you know what kind of project we're doing on either publish it or say to you know a regulator look you know this is happening or you know go back to the platforms and say guys look this kind of thing is happening so for and i think there is an evolution now in in the world of dealing with disinformation because it's evolving so quickly and it's becoming such a big problem that people are 
are focusing on specific bits of it, which I think is healthy. Instead mm-hmm. of saying, we do disinformation writ large, which is just, you know, what do you do in that? Do you fact check? Do you, you know? So our bit is the technical side, and I think that's been overlooked uh, mm-hmm. quite a lot. And I still yeah. find that when we talk to people, they, they, don't, un- they don't know it's a thing. Yeah. I, I wonder, Sean, if there is scope, actually, to actually walk to a place where you read an article and the bottom right corner, top right corner, there is a, just like we have in intelligence briefs, a reliability of source, how much analysis to be done. You know, is there a is there a space for a screen to have a little box that says high probability of technical manipulation? You know, something that actually allows the audience to assess what they're reading without having to understand what technical manipulation means. They know that's not a good thing. Is there is there scope for that, do you think, Sean? I know that we do that I think in the military context. Yeah, I think there's, it's really important that we do it. I mean, to an extent that that some of the commercial companies do it. You know, this has not been verified by independent means. You know, but but the the, the, the problem is, is again, I talk about the uh, short time span people have these days. Is that it, it, if it's up there all the time, people will just ignore it. Yeah, now, within a within a government context, we do that anyway because, as you said, you know, we already say what is what is your. Um, you know, uh, level of of uh, confidence in this, et cetera, et cetera. But even then, actually, I've got to say that, you know, when I'm or have been briefing very, very senior military officers, they'll either believe you or they won't, <laughs> um, based on, on, on sometimes generally good stuff, but sometimes on back to the unconscious bias thing. So really, I yeah. think I think it's important that we do it just to say that, you know, we've gone through that process and to give that level of assurance, back to assurance word, but but how effective it would be, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either. All right, because time has started to evaporate on us, let me um, give you a moment to think about this question, Emil. If you wanted the audience to walk away from this podcast with one thing that you'd want them to remember, what would it be? I'll go to Sean first, because I always give Sean no time at all to think about it. Uh, and I'll come to you in a second. So, Sean, what would be your one takeaway from this session? For me, I think this is really real and it's now and it's at scale. Unless we take this whole disinformation, misinformation and nuances seriously, then particularly in the West anyway, we could become, we could get in a really situation, a serious situation, which you could argue that we are now because society is polarised enough. And all you're going to do is polarise it even more. And you name whatever subject you want, whether it's your views on COVID, on politics, on, you know, you name it right now. You can go to wherever you want to to uh, support what your worldview is, you know, the echo chambers, et cetera, et cetera. And so somehow we've got to grasp it and and counter it, as we've been talking about, which is not going to be an easy thing to do. So this is one area that I'm really worried about. Mm. Thank you, Sean. Emil? I would want people to realise the the nature of the threat that we are living in which is information being manipulated undermines every other facet of of our lives whether and that is political as Sean was saying and also economic also social also our you know everything because the basis of actually our systems are 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 predicated on the idea that we get decent information and make decisions you know we're an empowered public we vote stuff like that Mm. Uh, and and even if you live in a country where you don't vote you still you know you still have you know you have some sort of political voice you know through one way or another um so if 
if that's the case, and it is the case, then us as individuals, what do we, what's our responsibility in dealing with this? And I think you have to, as an individual, take individual responsibility for the information that you consume and the way that you analyze that information. And I think that should just be baked into all of our psyches going forward. We can't leave it to others and just be like, oh, well, it's this organization or this paper or this TV station or this influencer that I really, you know, like listening to who you you can't, you should always have a filter that says, why are they saying that? What are the specific points they're making? And often when the worst or even worst stroke, most effective forms of manipulation, um, when you look at the content, it's actually uh, very easy to pick apart. Um, you know, whether it's pictures that are not meshing right, you know, those old AI things with six fingers or whatever, or just the basic things they're saying don't make sense. But as human beings, we just skip over it because of yeah. that sort of yeah. um, emotional sense that, oh, I like, you know, I kind of like it. So I'm not going to focus on the details. I think we should always focus on the details. Yeah, cognitive dissonance. So for me, the one takeaway I've got from this, which I would want to underscore for the audience, is that moment a few minutes ago, Amir, when you said, look at yourself. If you're reading something and you think, yeah, I totally agree with that, step back and ask yourself, well, hang on a sec, what are you just creating a chamber? Right? I really, really like that. I think as a very, very tangible takeaway for the audience, watch yourselves, watch what you react to and how you re react to it, because there's probably a clue in there about your own subconscious bias, maybe, or maybe just you've been persuaded by some technical manipulation that that is the truth that you should be following and ignoring everything else so uh, thank you that was a really good insight for me well as ever i'm um, left with more questions than i started with but that's the nature of a great conversation i think and it gives us opportunities to come back and do this again another time so emil thank you very very much indeed for your expertise and your commentary really really appreciate your time at this early part of the new year sean as always thank you for your contribution as well and for the listeners, as we've said before, if you have any questions, any points you want to raise, please let us know. And uh, if there's any topics you haven't covered you'd like us to cover, let us know that too. Emil, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thanks. Thanks for joining us this week on The World of Intelligence. Make sure to visit our website, janes.com slash podcast, where you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, so you'll never miss an episode.